It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, Matt Hausman here, your host for Smart Money Questions Podcast, and I am excited as I, well, as I always am, but today especially because today is our 100th episode up on smartmoneyquestions.com. That's right, I've been sitting here blabbing for a little over two years now, and we are excited about everything we did in the past and really excited about what we're looking to do in the future. And one of the things I think is great is because many of you have heard me preaching and preaching about tax diversification, understanding where your money is, and how much potential tax you are going to pay when it comes time to spend that money. And that being said, guess what happened on Thursday, May 23rd, in Congress, it was voted on and passed in a whopping big margin in a bipartisan move to make some major changes to the current IRA or retirement account or 401k, actually all of the above, different things that are happening with retirement plans. So I'm going to go through that today. I'm also going to go through something that happened with a client. And I put a video out about, I don't know, about three or four weeks ago. And we just sent it out to our database here, our email database. But because the podcast gets picked up on so many other platforms, I wanted to make sure to get this information out there because in this particular case, the client reached out to us, we got involved, and we helped in a real estate transaction that was able to save her significant tax consequences that she was looking to have to pay. She didn't understand why. So I'm going to go through and hopefully help you understand how it's so important to make sure that all of the professionals that you are involved with are working on your behalf and really understand there's so many different variables that need to be looked at, especially in real estate. We're going to talk about gifting and inheritance and understanding the difference there. And when you're looking to gift or receive a gift, that all things are analyzed, including the potential tax consequence to you as the person receiving the gift. So going to go through that one today too. But first, let's get to the disclosure. I don't know you. Well, I might know you, but there's probably a good chance that I don't. So therefore, please, please do not take what I discuss on this show as direct advice for you. Treat it more as information and education that then you should discuss with your financial advisor, an attorney, CPA, or whoever you normally seek out counsel. If you do seek out counsel. Now, if you would like for me or us to be your advisor, we can certainly have that conversation. We'll caution you though that normally we only take on about 30 to 40 percent of the people who seek us out and it's not because we're overly selective. We just feel very strongly there is a right reason to hire an advisor and there's a wrong reason to hire an advisor. So if you'd like to seek us out, there's many multiple ways you can do that. Probably the easiest is to just call my office 610 619-3003. That's area code 610-719-3003. And we can schedule a time for us to talk or meet 
But if you're not in the Metro Philly area, not to worry. We actually have clients in 10 states and we're very comfortable working with people virtually if that's what you have interest in. Okay, so let's jump into this. Now, this is going to be put out there in first week of June. I'm actually recording the last week of May, but this just passed the House of Representatives last Thursday in a vote of 417 to 3, and it's called the SECURE Act of 2019. And here's what I thought was interesting, because the very next day I was sitting with my father-in-law and Maggie, my wife, and we were talking and inevitably it usually comes into money and politics. And I was asking him, because he'd been watching the news that day, if he had heard anything about the act that I'm getting ready to discuss that has already passed Congress. Now, there's a little bit different version in the Senate, but it's already been talked about in a bipartisan way that this is going to eventually get through the Senate And it's something that President Trump, more than likely, at least all indications are, he will sign this. So what I'm going to go through, and I've been preaching for this a long time, is they in Congress are going to be looking for creating potentially additional tax revenues from all the money that are in qualified retirement accounts, IRAs, pension plans, etc. But then also potentially changing the way current retirement accounts are established, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, etc. And I'm just going to go over the highlights right now because really we don't know what the act is going to look like by the time it goes into play. But let's make one thing clear. This is clearly out of subcommittee now. This is not just proposed under a president's budget. This is real now. It's already gone through the Congress. As I said, it's called the SECURE Act of 2019. If you will go and you will search that on Google, you will find numerous articles, U.S. News and World Report, Forbes, Fortune, where I actually saw it is a service that we subscribe to called Think Advisor. And I, I started shooting this out to a bunch of my other advisor buddies, and, and, and you know they weren't looking at it. I mean, as soon as it came over, I read the whole article and shut it out to them. And some major, major changes are in store and are coming. And there are some big changes to the way that if you're currently, like myself, you're still working, you might be contributing to a plan. There's going to be some major changes on how much you can contribute into those plans. Who is going to be qualifying? They're looking at adding part-time employees now as will be able to participate in a company's 401k plan. They're also looking to add a provision that would allow for smaller business owners who many times they can't really get into the 401k plan because on the employer side, there are costs associated with that. The bigger the employer or the employee base and the more money under the 401k plan, the lower the overall cost can be. In this case, they're going to allow small businesses to band together and offer what would be considered a multi-employer plan as a 401k to the employees that they have. But here are the two biggest things that are very significant in changing. Currently, if you have a qualified retirement account and you are no longer working, is that whether it's in a 401k, 403b, IRA, what have you, everything but a Roth IRA is you have to start taking what's called minimum distributions at the age of 70 and a half. 
And then for the rest of your life, minimum distributions have to come out. Well, now what they're looking to do is this bill actually does raise that from 70 and a half to 72. So that's a big change there to allow you a couple year and a half before. Uh, by the way, I just want to let you know what they have put in here. This plan is looking to be effective at the end of 19. Okay. So they're looking to raise the minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. Now the Senate also has a similar bill called RESA, R-E-S-A, and they're actually looking to raise the age to 75. Now I couldn't find anything even in the bill itself when I went to go look at it to see if they're actually changing the percentage that you have to take out when you get to whatever age it's going to end up to be. And I really believe something is going to pass at the Senate level and the president is going to sign it. So whether it ends up being 72, 75, or somewhere in between, I do think that age is going up. But I couldn't find if the tables now are going to be changed. And why would I be looking at that? This is one of the most significant things, and I've been talking about this for at least 10 years now, is there is a sleeper provision in the bill that essentially would end what's known as a stretch IRA. And what in the world is that? Well, currently under the law, if a non-spouse, it's called a non-spousal inherited IRA, some people call it a beneficiary IRA, let's say that I inherited that from my father. And when I receive that, now I have to take minimum distributions, you know, within the first year, but now based on my age. So obviously, if I, I won't tell you my age, but if I inherited it today, then that means my minimum distribution percentage based on life expectancy is much less than, let's say, if I was 70 and a half or 75 or 80. So it's a lower percentage that has to come out, and I have to take that every year. So I can't wait till 70 and a half. A stretch IRA would actually start now. But if they eliminate that, which is one thing I have been preaching for a long time that I really believe they would, how are they going to change it? And does that mean that they are going to change the percentage that as the owner of the IRA, what they have to take out? whenever that minimum distribution age is now reestablished, whether it's 72, 75, or somewhere in between. And what they're doing is essentially they're going to make all beneficiaries, designated beneficiaries, when they receive the money, they're going to have to exhaust the account within 10 years. There is no more stretch opportunity. There are some exceptions for minor children, or beneficiaries with disabilities, certain things in there. But the reality is for the majority of people, they are going to now have to exhaust their IRAs over a 10-year period of time. In one of the articles I read, I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal, they estimate that that is going to create a $16 billion additional tax revenue over a 10-year period of time to help pay for the other provisions they are putting in here. But the biggest concern I have is in the event we do away with the stretch IRA, can they come back later? First of all, doing away with the stretch, as we can see some estimates are, it's going to create additional tax revenue. 
We didn't have to raise taxes. It's just because we're being forced to take more money out. And usually when people inherit those IRAs, they're still working. They're in their higher income years. So many of the monies that they uh, inherited are actually lost to tax. So, But my concern is, can they come later and increase the percentage of the minimum distributions that we have to take at whatever the new age is going to be? Now, the one thing that I did look at is I didn't see anything in the actual bill that addresses a Roth IRA. So again, when we're looking at tax mitigation or tax strategies, where we are saving our money can clearly help us reduce our overall long-term tax exposure. Again, when we look to be tax diversified. So those are the provisions that are the biggest highlights, I would say, within the current SECURE Act of 2019 that Congress passed. We'll have to see what the Senate ends up doing and then what ultimately gets signed. But the reality is, the more research I did this on actually Thursday the 23rd when it first passed and then over the holiday weekend, is it's definitely looking like there will be new changes to all qualified retirement accounts when minimum distribution age is going to begin. And obviously, it looks like the stretch rule is going to be gone by the wayside. So again, it's so important understanding where you're putting your money, what are the rules around it. By the way, speaking about rules, the minimum distribution, they're still keeping that tax penalty where it is. So you can only imagine in the event your heirs inherit an IRA and they don't understand that they have to get that exhausted over a 10-year period of time, what that potential tax penalty would be. I mean, it could be astronomical. So really important to understand that where your money is and the rules around that. So again, go out there and do some digging. And actually, I'd be encouraged. I'd like to hear back. Has anyone heard? Now, everyone knows that I don't watch the news in the morning, right? But my wife, Maggie, does. I asked her on Friday. I asked her on Monday. I asked her on Tuesday. And I asked her on Wednesday. Have they talked at all about the fact that this is some major legislation that's already been passed in Congress in a sweeping bipartisan way? And it's more than likely going to end up at the Senate. Has anyone talked about it? She said, nope. When I spoke with my father-in-law on that Friday, he'd watch news all morning. Did they talk about this? This was significant. Absolutely not. So I'd be encouraged to hear if anyone else has been watching the news and if it's actually been brought up. And we'll make sure that when this finally is put into law that we will give you an update on exactly what it looks like at that point in time and what law is. So Now what I want to cover is a situation that we helped a client with out about four to five weeks ago and explain what the scenario was, what certain understandings were, what was actually happening, and how we were able to step in, work with some other professionals to make sure that she was only going to, well, she was going to receive what she was entitled to receive and not pay any additional taxes. And so I did a video on this which is at smartmoneyquestions.com, just go to the videos tab, that talks about this. It's so important, especially because this is usually when I see this and when hopefully all the clients that are listening, they will make sure to get us involved. And that is understanding the difference between gifting assets and inheriting assets. And 
where I'm not going to talk about like inheriting retirement accounts, like what I was just talking about. What I'm talking about here, many times this is the case, we're talking about real estate. We're talking about after-tax investments, traditional brokerage accounts, maybe cash accounts, jewelry, personal items, and specifically real estate. Because this is where usually there's so much involved when I'm speaking to clients and maybe they're helping take care of their parents and they get an estate attorney involved. And next thing you know, they're looking to change deeds and stuff like that. It's so important that you make sure to ask these questions to understand what is going to happen at that transaction. And then in this case, when my client is looking to sell a non-primary resident, a piece of property down in Delaware, is understanding if something happens on the front side, let's say gifting, what that potentially is going to do on the backside. In other words, looking to sell the property. So the scenario is this, have a, a client who is a primary resident in the state of PA owns a home here. Her understanding was that she had inherited property from her father in Delaware when he passed. And she's been looking, quite frankly, to unload this property for three, four years now. And finally have a buyer. I get an email. It was Sunday or Monday. And it was from her forwarding to me the documents from the closing real estate attorney. And it was the closing documents. And there was some tax forms in there. And she was looking at it and she didn't quite understand why she was not walking away with the amount of money she thought she should be. And quite frankly, when we had spoke with her, that uh, I was indicating, I really think this is what, you know, based on this sale price, this is what you should walk away with. By the way, let me say this right now. I'm not an attorney. I'm not an accountant. And I'm not a licensed real estate agent. So because of those reasons, that's when I get other people involved as what I'm going to go through here. So I'm looking, but I do have enough experience and enough knowledge, I guess, to be dangerous and make sure that we are asking these questions. So when I looked at the closing documents, I could clearly see right off the bat what the real estate attorney was assuming was that my client had received the property as a gift from her father. So let's talk about what happens. And this is where when you're going to start gifting property, whether it's just doing a quick claim deed and, and adding my name, let's say to my mom's property in Florida, if she owned property down there, you know, a lot of times, oh, let's just get the name on there. Let's avoid probate. But we have to understand, and this is where you want to speak with a tax professional, is when we start gifting assets in that nature, many times what will happen is they are gifting their basis versus if I inherit the property or the asset is I get what's called a step up in basis. So I'm going to use this as an example. So in this example, her father had bought this property, if I remember right, late 80s, early 90s for about $900. The property now was selling for six figures. So when the real estate attorney reviewed the deed of record, he saw where there was a transfer from the father to the daughter prior to his death. So he automatically assumed that was a gift. He had a record of what he had paid for it. And so essentially, she was now going to have to pay Delaware, which now collects it at the closing table, is they're going to collect the capital gains rate on 
the full amount of the sale. Well, essentially the full amount. You get a little bit of deduction, but nothing to write home about. And so he was collecting it right then. And so that's what she was looking at. And when I was looking at the closing documents, I was like, I went back to the notes and I was like, wait a second. She's always told me that she inherited the property. And so I got involved. I did a deed search and I looked and sure enough, when you first view the deed of records roll, that's what you see. You see the fact that sure enough, that's what happened. But then when I actually looked at the deed, what the estate attorney had done is he had done what's called a life estate deed. So in essence, the father had then deeded the property to the daughter, but she could not mortgage it. She could not sell it and she could not kick him out while he still had an estate interest. His life estate was nothing can happen to this property. You don't get full conveyance until I pass. So I got an accountant involved, an accountant buddy of mine. I said, hey, listen, this is what we got going on right here. We have a life estate deed, but the way I'm reading the tax rules is that she does get a full step up in basis. He does the research. He comes back. Yes, sure enough, that's what happens. We were able then to convey that information to the real estate attorney, who's clearly not a tax attorney. So we were able to do that. He was able to change the documents. And so we were able to save the collection of Delaware capital gains tax. In addition, that would have triggered, this is what my accountant buddy said, that would have triggered a federal capital gains tax on her next tax return. So potentially it was it was around a 21-22% reduction in any type of tax collected. Now, you know, the reality is some people would say, well, if they collected the tax, she could always go back and try and amend it, but why even go through all of that to begin with? So, it's so important in this case. This is what the client said to me. Well, I just assumed that the estate attorney when he did that that he knew what he was doing. Well, and then she was assuming that the real estate attorney knew what he was doing. And in both cases, they were thinking in her best interest. But this is what we really want to understand. Thank goodness that that is exactly what the estate attorney did because there was no conversation between her and the estate attorney on what her initial wishes were for that property. And if he just would have did a common quick claim deed and put it all in her name, no life estate, it was going to be a huge tax cost because her intention was to never own the property for a long period of time. It was vacant land, wasn't going to build on it, wanted to unload it. And so understanding what the purpose is, why are we looking to move this asset into somebody else's name? If it's a gifting strategy versus an inheritance strategy, what's the person that is receiving the asset, what is their goal? What is their intention to do with it? You know, I had a client in, I guess this was about five years ago, who went to an estate attorney and was dealing with his mom's estate. She was still living. And the estate attorney had recommended to just go ahead and gift a rental property that she had to the son to avoid the PA inheritance tax. And what he didn't realize in doing that is she'd had the rental property for a good night, I guess 15, 18, 20 years. It was almost completely depreciated down. And his intention was to never be a landlord when his mom passed. He was just going to maintain being a landlord while she was living. That money was going to be used for her care. But then after that, boom, he was selling it. Well, what ended up happening was 
you saved a PA inheritance tax of about four and a quarter percent. You created a long-term capital gain tax on almost the full value of the sale at 15%. What sense does that make? That's only at the federal level, by the way. Then he's going to owe PA tax on that. So it's so important to make sure, and clients, if you're out there listening to me, please call us with anything like this so we can help and get involved in making sure that we understand what your wishes are, what the intentions are, and then we can get the other professionals involved to make sure that that transaction happens the way it is supposed to happen and all parties are educated to what that looks like. So in this case, it was a huge savings to her and we were able to get that done on the Thursday before closing on a Friday to save her that money. So again, understanding the difference between gifting and inheritance and what the intentions are, making sure we are asking the right questions of the professionals that we are dealing with and that multiple professionals are working together is so vitally, vitally important. So that's all I've got for this week. I hope it's been a good one. Then we have finished up number 100 and it's been helpful for you and you've liked the other one. So I want to remind you if you have a situation or scenario or question that you would like for us to address on the show, please email us at info at smartmoneyquestions.com or just go to the website, smartmoneyquestions.com. There is a form there. And actually, speaking of that, for those of you that are getting this just through our podcast, the various sources that pick this up, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Overcast, all of those, make sure to go to smartmoneyquestions.com. There's articles I've written there. There's other papers that we have up. There's videos that we have done on different subjects, including one of the ones we spoke about today. So make sure to check that out. Again, Matt Houseman signing off. Hopefully it's been a value for you today and we will talk to you soon. Everyone have a great one.